You're listening to Sibling Talk, commentary from a progressive point of view. Now here are your hosts, John Paulette and Mary Jo Tumare. Hello, I'm John Paulette. And I'm Mary Jo Tumare. Mary, here's where we are right now. I Once again, the facts on the ground may change in the next couple of hours, but and this is the truth. After four years of a president who bungled the pandemic, was impeached, was a racist, uh, I can go on and on and on with this list, told, what, 20,000 lies. Essentially, the voting, the election, after four years, ended up just about the same. It appears that instead of kind of swinging by 20,000 votes here or there towards Donald Trump, it'll kind of swing by 20,000 votes for Joe Biden. But the country is the same as it was four years ago. Am I reading that wrong? It's so fascinating. This has just got to be one of the most fascinating times of history. And we've lived through some really fascinating times. But I think we are living through a really significant realignment. And you can call that the parties, but it's, that's, that is even not the right word to say. It's just, as a country, we are in this huge divide of how we view the world. And some people say it's a rural-urban. You could say that. It's the elites versus the non-elites, the educated versus the non-educated. I read an article today, I think I sent that over to you from the New Yorker, which is it's a realignment of the working class. So the Democrats have really owned the unions and the working class folk since um, FDR, since the New Deal. But over time, so this didn't happen four years ago. This has been shifting since really Reagan to the blue-collar folks moving away from what they see as the Democrats. But it's more than that, which is the elites, educated people. I heard it described today as people who are tired of being told what to do, meaning they're tired of the government telling them what to do. They're tired of, you know, the snobby elites telling what to do, what they can eat, where, what kind of music they should listen to. and. So I think that 50-50 split is what we're living through. And so, you know, how they say Trump is a symptom, not a cause. And I think that's very true. I, I think so, too. But I think what you just pointed to might be one of the ways to uh, understand the difference. And I, by the way, I'm going to say right up front, I think it's more complex than this. But we think about several things that may be splitting. This. Let me try this one. On you, and you know, there's nothing I love like a philosophical explanation for things. And <laughs> this one kind of is. There is one view of the world that says we will all do better if we take care of and support each other. I maybe call it a collective uh, view. Uh, it's not really a utilitarian view, although there's there are aspects there of uh, the greatest good for the greatest number. But it is that kind of perspective on the world that says 
we have a responsibility for each other. And you might say, well, that's especially prevalent in people who don't have to worry a lot about their own well-being. They can take care of others. It's kind of the classic Kennedy family. They were rich enough to care about uh, uh, the poor. But I think it's others, too. I think for people who either have a need of others or philosophically believe. I'm going to contrast that with the second view that says the best thing is if we are all rugged individuals. There's kind of a libertarian feel to this. If we all took care of ourselves, then the whole society would do well. It's not, they're not bad people. They philosophically believe we will all succeed if we all take care of each other. And in, you know, kind of a, a view, this was from 60 Minutes uh, this past Sunday. Uh, there was a woman from Ohio who was a Trump supporter, and she seemed like a, a pretty reasonable woman. She was a lawyer, uh, obviously educated. She talked about a number of things. She seemed to be bothered occasionally by Donald Trump and what he did. But at the end, she said, you know what? My 401k is high. And I think she also talked a little bit about feeling safe and secure in the place where, where she lived. And, you know, we as more progressive can kind of make fun of that. But I think she is saying what I'm proposing is this different view. I need to take care of myself and my family. You take care of yourself and your family. What do you think? Is that a possible view of it? I think that's part of it. And I think it's a, a good analysis of that, you know, the Americanism of rugged individualism. And so there's a strain of that in our history and our culture. But I also think, and maybe this is adding on to that rather than distinguishing from it, the idea that, uh, and, and if, I'm going to go back, and if you remember when Obama was elected and Michelle Obama was going to, um, her issue was going to be childhood obesity, and she planted a garden that was going to help people to eat better. And a lot of conservatives were super offended by that. Like, you can't tell me how much, you know, what to eat and quit telling my kids to eat vegetables. It sounds so counterintuitive because we all know that healthy eating is good for us. But um, it's a little bit like the keep the government out of my business. So I think you're right. It's a libertarianism. It's a rugged individualism. And then it's also a kind of um, insecurity. And I don't mean like I'm personally an insecure person, but insecurity causes you to look at other people doing better and thinking, you know, shut up. Don't tell me what to do. I'm going to live my own life. I don't have to live like you do, like you East Coast and West Coast elites. And, you know, I think it's very, it's that thing. And human beings are so complicated. And it feels to me like this is an expression of that complicated human nature. I, I don't know that, but this is how it feels. Because back to your original point, we are exactly where we were four years ago, just a little bit of a swing to the Democrat as opposed to the Republican. A sneeze, the, you know, the election's held another day. And again, I said this yesterday, and I mean it, we all own, owe an apology to Hillary Clinton. Because as this thing play, is playing out this week, 
I don't think Hillary Clinton could have won that election. I mean, it's hard, hard she tried because the, there was there's a moment, right? We're living a moment. The zeitgeist is this 50 percent split. The question, I think, for us, and we'll talk about this, not just me and you on sibling talk, but, you know, as a, as a culture and a society going forward is. Can we be bring brought back together in a con- as a country and do we need to? I mean, does it matter if we maintain this 50-50 split? They live their way. We live our way. That's a, that's a values discussion that needs to be had. Well, it is. And, you know, related to uh, values, I'm going to switch to another theory. And, and it's a tough theory to think about. Uh, already, like actually two years ago, in 2018, uh, 2018, if you take the children in the United States, and I'm going to define that as everybody below the age of 15, the majority of children below 15 in the United States were either Black or Hispanic. By the year 2040, the majority of all Americans will be non, non-white. I have wondered all along if this split is, isn't finally all about whiteness and fear that whiteness will no longer be the majority. And so are we continuing to see this group uh, of people that say, we have got to cling on to power? Now, I know that doesn't do very well explaining the number of black males that worked for or uh, voted for Donald Trump or the Latino vote that went there. But I, I would suggest that that might fit into my theory if there is part of the black vote and uh, the Latino vote that says, you know what, we would like to be white or probably better put, we would like to experience the privilege of whiteness. I guess my question to you is, is this finally a racial divide? I think so. I, I, but I think we have to be careful to um, let it explain the whole thing. Because there is a part of, and I think what we found out with Trump's election, is that the racism that we thought we were like post-racist because of Obama, that wasn't true. So the racism that, you know, they came out of the rocks. But at the same time, I think the other point you made is very, very insightful because generation after generation of people who have immigrated to the United States, and, and I know that Blacks have not immigrated to the United States, but think of them as an immigrant community to the extent that their, their civil rights are finally being acknowledged. Right. So have wanted to join the mainstream. So the mainstream is white, but it's as a lifestyle, you don't have to be white to be part of that mainstream. You have to have money, right, to resources, and you have to be accepted into the mainstream. So if we're going to turn into a country that whiteness is not the defining characteristic because the group is mixed, who and how are going to be, become the leaders of that group? And so I saw, saw the issue with the Latino vote is, Latinos are conservative. You know, first of all, you have a lot of Catholics among the the um, Latinos, and they're culturally more conservative than um, 
than a lot of Americans are, and I think than a lot of African Americans are. So the republic, the traditional Republican ideas are attractive to them. So we, you know how we'll say like uh, demographics is destiny, but we've thought that's meant, well, everyone's going to be a Democrat. But I don't think so, John. I think what this week has proved is that we will realign to values, to aspirations, and whatever the political parties are as the vehicles for our leaders, which is what political parties are in the end of the day, they will attract people that on that basis. And Trump um, and Trumpism is, again, it's a reflection of that, but it's, it's the simplistic. It's like the surface of it. The, the rest of it is a very complicated aspirational realignment for a future that is, you know, sometimes hard to understand because, you know, there's so much change in technology and whatever. Imagine that you're an uneducated, you know, a non-college educated um, 25-year-old. And what does the future look like to you? A little different than it looks like to my kids, your kids. What is, yeah. And I want to follow up on part of what you're saying. And I actually am drawing this largely from Ta-Nehisi Coates. In Between the World and Me, he explains this process. And he says, understand, whiteness and coloredness is, is not really a skin color. It's a social construct of what it means to achieve whiteness. And one of the greatest examples of it are your and my ancestors. The Irish, as they came into this country, this is not just a thought. This is really true. They were considered to be colored, to be people of color, and to be absolutely excluded. Now, what they wanted more than anything else was to achieve whiteness in that social construct of saying, we want to achieve the privilege of being among the white. Uh, to a great extent, uh, Jews, I think, went through the same process. And that's a process of assimilation. Not everybody likes it. But that's part of the process that goes on. And you wonder if we are feeling that in the Latino community. Exactly. It's the genius of the United States in the end of the day, because it's not like the what we were going to call minority who's going to become a majority wants a different thing. They want the American dream. Our ancestors did. And, you know, people will ahead of us in some ways think about. Um, women and what women have been able to do. They've been able to change the dialogue about their place in a in the society and can aspire to maleness. I don't want to be a man, but I want the privilege of maleness. And maybe what we're living through is these groups and their aspirations to be white. Well, and my question, I guess, in my mind on that is, is Trumpism, is nativism, are these kind of things a product of the people who say, wait a minute, I'm white, but I'm not getting the privilege of being white. And, that, and so, mm -hmm. I'm sorry, does that make it sense? It does, and I know we have to run, but I this is a conversation we need to have again because I think the reaction to the, the movement of all these folks into that concept of the privileges of whiteness, and then I actually am white, I'm like, wait, 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 I'm not giving that up so easy. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. We do have to wind up. Uh, quick programming note, and we'll finish up. We heard 
an absolute onslaught of comments about our 10-minute idea. And the word we got was, do a tight, disciplined 15 minutes uh, there. And that's what we tried to do today. And we got to a tight, disciplined 16 minutes. (laughs) Talk to you later. We'll keep getting better. Sibling Talk is a JMP production. Theme song by David Paulette.